Good morning, everybody, and thanks for bearing with me with the little technical difficulties here. My name is Marquise McGraw. I'm a, I've been here at St. James for about a year and a half, um, probably even longer than that now, and it's just been a privilege uh, to be with you all. So um, today I want to talk about hope. And, um, you know, I, I, I was like, where do you start talking about hope? So when I think about hope, right, one of my favorite all-time verses in the Bible when I was a child was the good old Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, and we all know it, especially the NIV version, which goes as thus. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And even though if you really read that verse actually in context, it's a little different. It's saying a little something uh, different. It's not directly speaking to us. It's more speaking to the Israelites and, you know, telling them after about 70 years of being in exile in Babylon, then I'm going to give you hope in the future. But you got to suffer a little bit first, right? You know, there's like a there you got to go through in order to get to this place of hope that I'm bringing you to. I still think that it applies to us today um, in some ways. I think it's just God speaking just as he was back then, both individually to us as we start to discern what is our hope, what is our future, right? What is it that God has for us um, now and then also as we go forward? But then also, I think it's a collective hope, right? It's for the entire body of Christ to really think about and really ponder, well, you know, what does hope mean in that context too? What does hope mean to us as Christians who are part of a church body? And I'm thinking of the broader church body when I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of the church body this morning. So, um, you know, in other words, one of the beautiful things about knowing Jesus Christ is that, as James was saying earlier, we have all of these anxieties, right? Um, it's hard for me to get up here and talk about hope without thinking about what I saw on CNN the other day, or Fox, or MSNBC, or you pick your favorite news channel. None of it inspires a whole lot of hope. Um, you know, when I go and I drive through certain parts of D.C. area, or even certain parts of Alexandria, it's not looking too good. There's poverty, there's crime, there's drugs. There are all sorts of issues and ills out there that are just heartbreaking to watch. And then we wonder, well, obviously, if any of us in this room had the power to just magically change those circumstances, right, I know each and every one of us would do it. But here's the thing, you know, it's not that easy. And so we, you know, have to kind of often live in this dissonance where, you know, we want to say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Jeremiah 29-11, yeah, your life's going to be great, yeah. Well, is that really the practical reality for so many of our brothers and sisters who are out there, you know, in this broader world, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our society that we live in, right? There's something for us to think about, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. But still, when we talk about hope, in the everyday context, how do we usually use the word, right? So, for example, I ride the metro every morning, and a lot of times I say, I hope the metro is running on time. 
I hope it's not on fire this morning so that I can get to work on time. I hope that there's not going to be a ton of traffic when I'm driving to Giant this afternoon. I hope that when I go visit my family in New York that all is well, right? I mean, in other words, we're wishing for usually what's a positive outcome, but there's some uncertainty there because there is a chance that I'm going to get on 395 just as I did when I was driving here this morning, and there's going to be a surprise work zone that's going to get in my way, that's going to slow me down. <laughs> and I was afraid that I was going to be late, See, even though I made a, po a point to get here on time, or at least I was hoping for early, but I got here on time, right, Bill? I was on time. <laughs> I was two minutes early by Bill's watch, so, <laughs> right? But, you know, again, so there's this uncertainty, you know. I, I mean, I'm a college professor these days, right? So, you know, I hope my students did the reading. <laughs> Which I know, if any of you are watching, I know there's, you know, it's more likely than not that you didn't do the reading, right? <laughs> I understand that. I've, I've been through this too. But I can still hope. <laughs> I can still hope for something better that's going to be good for you. But anyway. Um, there's this longing, right? I mean, we, we really want these positive things, but there's this uncertainty. And with uncertainty comes anxiety. Um, again, you know, drawing on all the time I spend teaching undergraduates, one of the first things they teach you in teaching school is to tell you, tell your students as much about what to expect, you know, during that class session as possible. So, you know, you want to give them an agenda. You want to give them, like, here's the roadmap of what we're going to do. Here's, you know, when I'm going to call on you, you know, if possible, here are the questions I'm going to ask you, right? Why? Because what we're trying to do in that context is we're trying to minimize uncertainty. When we minimize uncertainty, we minimize anxiety. And when we minimize anxiety, then people worry less, and then they can, as James was saying, actually be in the present and actually pay attention to what it is you're trying to teach them. But yet it's so hard sometimes to, you know, ground ourselves like that. And I think even as Christians, we forget that, and, and it's become kind of trite and almost cheesy at this point, but in knowing Jesus, in having Jesus as our Savior, and because of what he did on the cross and his redemptive work, we have a place where we can cast our cares, we can cast our anxieties to him, to God above, and then we don't have to worry about that stuff. And not only is that like a place where, you know, a way to kind of let that stuff off of our shoulders and just kind of cast it off, but we have a rock solid certainty that when we do that, our Savior in heaven is receiving all of that pain, all of those disappointments, all of those struggles, so that we can come at life and we don't have to worry. We really don't. We put it on ourselves to worry because we don't have enough faith sometimes to really believe that when we cast our cares to him that he's really listening, that he's really answering, that he's really there, that anybody really cares, but he does. And so um, what I'd like to do is just remind us of that. I just want to read a few verses that I think um, illustrate this point well. So the first one is 1 Peter 1.3, which is, blessed be the... God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Proverbs 10:28: the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Again, the hope of the righteous brings joy. That's where the joy comes from. 
That's how I can stand up here and still be hopeful, even with everything else that's going on and all the things that, you know, I'm worried about and, and you're worried about. The hope of the righteous brings joy. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Numbers 23.19, last one. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Thank God for that. As he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I like this from C.S. Lewis, so I stole it. C.S. Lewis says the following about hope. Hope is one of these theological virtues, as we've been going through various theological virtues in this series. But this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, as it often seems to Many. But, and this is the key, but this is one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. We are meant to have hope in this world that desperately needs it. We are meant to be carriers and bearers of hope in this world. The people around us in whatever context you're in, People desperately need to see your light shine. That brings hope. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. And if you read history, he argues, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. I think that invites us in to begin to pray and to think and to ponder and to just ask, ask God, Lord, what's my role in that? Lord, how can I be hope? How can I spread hope in this world, in my world, that so desperately, desperately needs it? Because if we forget that, and you know what happens? We start thinking about ourselves. We start thinking about, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to get my car fixed? I'll start thinking about things like, am I ever going to get married one day? Am I ever going to buy a home? Well, God is, amen to that. I just bought a condo. <laughs> but, but, you know, all these things, right? And, you know, again, it's very easy for our minds to wander, and it's very easy for our minds to just kind of go off in different places and figure, you know, I got to do it all myself. And then pretty soon as you do that, that saps your energy, that saps your joy, that saps whatever you had in you to allow that hope to spring eternal, right? So what I'd like to do for the rest of my time is I want to just kind of talk with you practically about how this is, how God has shown this hope to me. Hope that's okay with you all. Because um, I've been on a journey about as long as I've been at this church, if not longer, probably longer. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll spare you some of the details, but I've got to tell you some of the details because I see God working. 
at least in my own life. Um, I moved to the D.C. area for the third time in 2016. That was after I spent a year teaching at a small liberal arts college in the, in the Northeast up in Vermont, uh, where I dearly loved my colleagues and faculty, but I, being a New Yorker, just couldn't adjust to living in a small town of 7,000, right? And so I thought that was it. You know, when I took that job, I saw like all these signs leading me, you know, um, that this is where God wanted me to be. And then six months later, that all fell apart. So I found myself here in DC, and for the past three years, I found myself working for the federal government. Um, and, and, you know, I've enjoyed that work, and I've enjoyed, you know, being there. But it still wasn't, I still wasn't where I felt like God was really leading me to be, or what God was calling me to do, right? I felt like I had some gifts that weren't really being used um, to benefit the people who really needed them. And I personally am just not a fan of office jobs. And again, God creates all of us uniquely to be uniquely gifted for whatever it is he has for me to do. And like if there's a mismatch, sometimes you know. You just know. So as I came here to St. James, um, I spent a lot of time talking with Pastor James and Ed James and, you know, Megan and, you know, a lot of you about my journey. And I ultimately discerned that God was leading me toward, you know, some kind of ministry work. And so for... Um, a year and a half or so, I started thinking, what was that going to look like? And really discerning, well, God, are you calling me to preach? Or are you calling me to, like, you know, do something in a church context? What is it that you're calling me to do? Now, I have always enjoyed teaching. And I like to think I'm good at it. And my evaluations have been pretty good. So I'm going to assume that, like, if other people say I'm pretty good at it, then I must be pretty good at it. It, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you know, you know, what it is that God has uniquely gifted you to do just by how those gifts manifest themselves out in the world. And you get, you know, you get signs, you get feedback that this is where you belong. So long story short, I started looking at seminaries. I went up to, uh, I went up to Princeton. I went, up to, uh, went out to Fuller in California um, and Wesley and one other school I'm forgetting right now. Um, and I really started to just, I wanted to get a sense of like, well, you know, God, is this what you're leading me to? Like, are you leading me to like a pastor kind of gig? I, I went to Princeton, and I was kind of, it was weird. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, I ended up getting together with these, uh, a, a group of other men who were also there um, for that visit weekend. And... They were like, yeah, we don't think that, like, God is, like, calling you to, like, leave your context in D.C. Um, and so I was like, okay. And then I, um, I got on the metro the next morning, and, um, and I happened to be at the back of the train, and there was a guy there, um, a gentleman who just asked me a very innocent question. Is the yellow line running today so that he can get to work? Um, and uh, I said, oh, yeah, you just missed it. It's actually running today. You just missed it. You got to wait five minutes. You'll be good. He's like, okay, good, because I got to get to work. He's like, and then he, we, we just kind of struck up a quick little conversation. He said, yeah, I said, what do you do? He's like, oh, yeah, I work in security. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm coming, I was doing a job down here in Crystal City. And he's like, oh, by the way, yeah, he's like, and then I got to do security at the convention center. I was like, man, you, you, you work both those places? He's like, 
Yeah, and I work at Ann Taylor, too. And I was just like, man. And he's like, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? And so I didn't really think much of that conversation until I got on the metro. I got on the train. My train came. I sat down. Holy Spirit was like, you know, that man has three jobs. And you mean to tell me that you can't do more than one? And so I just started putting these pieces together. Now, then I actually got into Fuller, and I got this scholarship, and I was kind of like, hey, that may actually be enough money to go and, like, move out to California. And, again, Lord knows, like, I'm getting tired of my government job, and so, like, I'm looking for any excuse to, like, get up out of there. So this was, this was the first thing that came to mind. And so I said, hey, let's do that. Yeah, I would love to live in L.A. You know, the weather is nice. It's not as humid as D.C. Um, and, it, and it would be kind of cool to, like, be around other Christians and, uh, you know, kind of commune and all that. But there was still that little problem, which is that little conversation I had with the guy on the train and the conversation I had with the folks at Princeton. And so I started, and you remember, I was, like, super excited. Like, I'd already started thinking about, like, oh, yeah, when am I going to get the moving truck? And, like, um, you know, where am I going to live? And how am I going to, like, pay for rent? Because, obviously, you know, they weren't covering that. And so... Um, I mentioned, I, I remember distinctly, so around Memorial Day weekend, it was about a weekend before Memorial Day, I mentioned to James, I said, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get money to pay the rent, you know, when I move out to L.A., but I do know this, like, I know that, I know that the following happened. I know that right before I went to Princeton, somebody sent me an email. It was an email from a professor at American University. And she asked me if I could come in and teach a class um, that spring. Um, they were looking for somebody to teach a public finance class. And so uh, we went back and forth, and I was hired to do it. I did it. There were some moments where I was kind of like, why am I here? Like, I walked in, and, like, the students were, like, so stone-faced. I mean, because they're not, like, economic students, and my course was a requirement for them. They just had to get through me so that they could graduate. So, uh, you know, I was just, I was like, Okay, like, I didn't do anything to you. Like, you know, geez. Like. <laughs> so it, it, it went okay. We got through the course, right? And then I said, all right, that was fun, but I don't think I'm doing that again. Um, you know, well, that weekend before Memorial Day, um, I'm sitting here talking with James. I'm like, yeah, you know, um, I would love to actually, like, teach when I get out to L.A., and, but those jobs are so hard to get. And, you know, I had a tenure track position. And obviously, once you leave the tenure track, nobody generally, it, it, the way it works in academia is like, once you kind of give up that, you're not getting it again. You're not getting back into academia. Or at least you're going to have to work really, really, really hard to get back in. And so I was like, well, look, I saw how God, you know, when he sent me that email in November, um, he created this job just for me, a course that really only I could teach that was on the night that I usually teach, which was Tuesday nights, and it was at 8.20 at night, which means I could do my other job, and then I could go do that. Basically, a job just, like, fell in my inbox, literally. And I was like, so God's going to have to do something like that because I don't have any connections out there. Well, I go home, and, you know, and, and again, you know, I'm still thinking I'm going to seminary or anything. I, I go home, and it was a beautiful day uncommonly beautiful day in D.C., so I was like, I want to go to a museum or something. So I get on my computer, I check my email, 
And it says, from my contact at AU, very time sensitive. Please read. <laughs> so I click this thing, and it's like, oh, um, yeah, so I just want to let you know that we have an immediate opening, as in tomorrow. Um, you know, we, we have this course that, you know, was supposed to be taught by this other professor, but he can't do it anymore. We need somebody to come in and do it now. And uh, yeah, so you'll start at 9 a.m. tomorrow, um, and you'll teach for a week, 9 to 5. And um, you know, can you do this? And here's how much we'll pay you. And oh, by the way, there's a possibility that we might be able to hire you on full time. Because of all the other stuff that had happened in the background, they had actually started thinking about creating this position. And they were so desperate to get somebody to come teach this class, they threw all of this at me. I mean, so I decided to go in and teach the class, and I did, and it was one of the best courses I ever taught. What am I trying to say? Getting back to hope. I belong in the academy. I belong doing exactly what I'm doing right now, which is teaching and mentoring and inspiring the next generation and this current generation of youth and not-so-young people to help them go out there and make a difference in the world. I've, I've figured out that that's my, my unique calling in this world, or at least one of them. That's my way of spreading hope in a world that desperately needs it. When I walk in and I see the looks on the faces of my students and I walk around and people, you know, say, hi, Professor McGraw, and, you know, this and that, that's one way that I can be hope in this world that desperately needs it. That's, and, and, and it took me all of that and more, I just don't have time to really go into all the details. It took all of that for me to realize that. Not only that, but God was working behind the scenes. I thought I was about to up and move to California. Well, it turns out in reality, I just ended up up and moving to Rockville. Um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and God was orchestrating this all, all along, and I had no idea. I mean, who just is like, I want to give you a job? That's God. That's God who, like, you know, I mean, that professor could have left the year before. He could have left the year after. You know, I mean, there are so many things in the timing of how all of that happened. If just one piece hadn't worked out the way it did, then I would probably be loading up my U-Haul to go to California or I'd be doing something else. The fact that God was able to order my steps and do all that stuff, without even me knowing that God was doing all that stuff, that gives me hope. It gives me hope because it reminds me that God is orchestrating all of our steps. It gives me hope because even when we can't see, in fact, hope is, it's less about what we can see and it's more about believing in what we can't see. In other words, it's more about, you know, having faith that we're going to get to the place that God wants us to be at. It's more about believing, believing that, yes, you have value, you have worth. Not only that, but you have so much value and so much worth, and you, and you can't help but share that with the world. You can't help but share that with others. And through that, we're drawing others to him. So, yeah, I, I still watch the news. I still think we have a lot of problems in society, and I talk about a lot of them when I'm teaching. 
But again, you know, I also don't think they're intractable. And I think there are solutions to a lot of these things. I think Christians are called to be part of the solution. So if I could ask you to do anything, it would just be, again, think about how you can be hope. Think about how you can show love because that's ultimately what it's about. The more hopeful you are, the more loving you're going to be. Why? Because the more present you're going to be, the more in the moment you're going to be. I'd rather be doing that than worried about how's this bill going to get paid? How's this bill going to get paid? You know, what's going to happen in that family member? What's going to happen in that situation? And not to minimize that because there's a lot of that that we end up having to do. It's just human. It's just the human condition. But believing that there is a better place that we can get to through hope. And I'm not even talking about later on up in heaven. I'm talking about the here and now. That we can build stronger church communities. We can build, we can uniquely um, just embody hope. So, yeah, I'm going to leave you with that. I hope that was a blessing to you. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm moving to Rockville, so I'm not going to be around as much. So the last thing I want to say is I want to say thank you um, for inviting me into your home here. Um, I, well, it's my home, too, now. I've been here long enough. I think I can claim a little piece of it. Um, this has really been a formative time in my life in trying to discern what God had for me, where God was leading me. And so, you know, I'm excited to invest in, you know, communities of, you know, university community and, uh, you know, just kind of get to know my students better and, um, you know, again, to do my best to be that hope, that salt, that light in my context. Um, and I'll still be coming down here to visit every now and then and, you know, chat with James, of course. So, of course not. Um, but, um, but, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. And I'm looking forward to seeing what St. James is going to do. I look forward to seeing how this church is going to show hope and be hope right here in the west end of Alexandria and beyond. God bless you all. Thank you very much.